Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Hello and thanks for tuning in. In this week's sermon, I explored John chapter 20 and how Jesus greets the disciples in his resurrection, but he finds them overcome with despair, shame, and a sense of loss, and how the good news of the resurrection addresses all three of those emotions, and quite frankly, how those are emotions that we all experience in our life. And so I hope that this week's sermon speaks to you. I hope that you get something out of it and that you're inspired by its message. Well, good morning. This was one of those weeks that has become all too familiar um, in our country, in our society, um, where once again we are in the aftermath of a a tragic shooting um, here in our country at a house of worship. And so before I dive into this week's sermon, I just want us to pause for a moment um, to take a deep breath in and, and exhale as we remember the faith community, the Jewish community. Um, that has been rocked by this horrible act of violence. Um, I'm also mindful that some people have misinterpreted, twisted, used Scripture um, to act out in violence and hatred towards the Jewish people. And one of those Scriptures often that uh, folks misinterpret and twist is the one that we have for today. The disciples were locked away in a room for fear of the Jews, right? Sometimes these scriptures are used by radical, um, misinformed people um, to act out in violence against the Jewish people. Uh, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church believes that hate has no home here. You've seen those signs. And so where is Christ in the midst of this? Christ is the one who was shot. Christ is the one in the Jewish community in California who was killed. For Christ is always aligned with those who are suffering, who are persecuted, who are harmed. Whether that's a Christian, a Jewish person, a Muslim person, Christ always identifies with the suffering. And so we need to be mindful of that. Our prayers, our heart, our sympathy goes to that community, to the Tree of Life Synagogue, where just six months ago, 11 people lost their life, to Christ Church shootings in New Zealand, um, to Sri Lanka, and those that have suffered there. The resurrection tells us that love and life win. They win. Love and life win. And yet we also know the tension that we live in a world where violence and anger and hatred, it, it still has a platform. And so the response for us as Christian people is not to grow timid. It's not to treat love as a whisper or a weakness, but to stand up in solidarity with all of humanity in declaring that love and life win. And so we live our lives marked by the grace, peace, forgiveness of Jesus Christ, never seeking vengeance never making an enemy, never demonizing another, even and especially if they're different than us. Instead, 
we seek a world restored with grace and peace. Thanks be to God for the text we have for today because Jesus models this for us perfectly. Perfectly. Here's the scene. The disciples that last week in the life of Jesus have been through a whirlwind, haven't they? They entered into the city with Jesus and they were just finally starting to get it. They were just finally starting to understand who this Christ was, who this rabbi of theirs was, and what his mission was all about. And all along the journey, we know that they were often misinformed and misaligned with his true purpose, but they're starting to get excited, we sense in the scriptures. And there they enter into the city and they gather around a table to eat a Passover meal with their Lord when he gets up from the table and he does something totally strange, totally foreign, totally something out of place, right? He, he gets up from the table and he sits down and he gets a basin of water and he begins to do what? Wash their feet. He begins to wash their feet, something that is not fitting for a rabbi or a teacher or someone of, of his status or authority to do, and yet he shows them what it looks like to love. And he washes the feet of all of those disciples who moments later will run away from him, will flee when things get stressful. He'll even wash the feet of the one who will get up from the table to betray him. And yet he washes anyway, because that's his character, it's his nature. And from there, Jesus will take a few of the disciples into a garden, and he will pray fervently. And we see this beautiful, um, this beautiful vignette of Jesus in the, in the midst of his humanity, praying that God would take this away from him. Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And he wants his disciples to stay awake to do what? He wants them to pray, pray, pray. But he keeps going over to them, and they keep falling asleep, in and out of sleep. And from there... Judas comes with the cohort of soldiers and he betrays him with a kiss. And from that moment moving forward, the disciples are sent into a frenzy. Some of them follow behind, but at a distance. We know Peter sort of followed the cohort that led Jesus away behind, but at a safe distance so as to not be associated with what was happening. Others were led to believe just scattered. They just got out of town. They were overwhelmed. I imagine they were terrified of what could have happened to them. Certainly we can relate to that. They probably had families and loved ones and, and a whole life they wanted to live, and so this was too much for them to bear, and so they, they sort of just faded back into the crowd. And then we know the story, right? Jesus is led before a kangaroo court. He's convicted on trumped-up charges. Mob mentality takes over. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He's meant to carry a cross by himself up a hill. And it's there in his final moments that his mother watches her son die. His body is taken off of the cross and it's led away and it's put in a stranger's tomb and it's sealed 
and the disciples retreat. We pick up in today's story, John chapter 20, those disciples are in a locked room. And I can imagine so many emotions were swirling around for them. Can you think of what they must have been feeling? As I've discerned this, I've I've thought of three primary emotions that were probably present. The first one was probably despair, right? Despair. All of their hopes for this Messiah were just dashed, crushed. Despair that maybe this wasn't the one whom God was sending to redeem God's people. Despair in the face of death, of loss, of suffering, not knowing where to go. But another emotion was probably present. The emotion of shame. Of shame. For not following Jesus even to death, as Peter declared. Shame for fleeing and running away in the garden. Shame, possibly, because of the last moments they were with Jesus, many of them probably felt like they let him down because they were falling asleep when all he wanted us to do was pray, and we couldn't even do that. And another emotion that they were probably feeling was a sense of extreme loss. The sense of loss of purpose. We knew what we were doing with our life. We, we put everything on hold and we followed Him for three years and, and all of our hopes and all of our dreams of, of, of the work God had given us is now taken away and I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do. What does our future have for us? Despair, shame, and loss. Now we have not been in their exact shoes, but each one of us knows what it's like to feel despair, shame, and loss about many things. And maybe you're feeling one of those emotions right now about something going on in your life. You've lost hope. You've lost a sense that the best is yet to come. You might tell yourself that intellectually, but in your heart you don't feel it. You don't know what's next because you've lost a loved one or meaningful employment or you're just struggling to figure life out. Maybe some of you are struggling with shame because you feel like you've let your family down or you've let God down or you've let yourself down. You've made a mistake. You've messed up. You've gotten it wrong. You've hurt somebody you love and you are caught up in crippling shame. I've been there. Or maybe you're just feeling lost. You're living each day on a hamster wheel, one day to the next to the next, but you don't quite know what the purpose is, and you don't know where you're going, or, or even if you can find meaning in where you're going anymore. I've been there too. And it's in that context for the disciples, and it's in our context, of despair, shame, and loss, that the power and the glory of the resurrection meets us. For in our story, the resurrected Jesus comes. 
And he comes into the midst of that environment, into the lowest of lows, and he brings new life. For when he enters into that space for the disciples, the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Not, I told you so. I told you, Peter, you would run away and you would deny me. How many times did I tell you, Peter? How many? Come on, three. And how many times did you do it, Peter? Let me count. One, two, three. No. Where were you? You couldn't even stay awake, surely, when I was praying. Jesus does none of that. All Jesus says is, peace be with you. Can you imagine for those disciples in that moment who are locked up in despair, thinking the end of the story had come, just little by little, the bewilderment in their eyes that maybe, maybe they didn't need to despair anymore. Maybe there was actually life-changing hope in the resurrection. Life-changing hope. This alters the course of human history now. In the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruit we see that he brings to the disciples is life-changing, life-altering hope that death is not the final answer, that anything that would demean, diminish, or crucify humanity, God has overcome in the resurrection because love and life win. And then the second fruit that Jesus brings in response to the shame that they must have been feeling is real connection. Real connection. He says to them three times, peace be with you. And I imagine in the scene in my mind, if this was a Hollywood movie and I was the producer, how I would tell the disciples to act in that moment is to have their eyes downcast, right? Shame. I can't look at them. I've let them down. And so three times Jesus says, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. In other words, our relationship will only be defined by my love, not by your faithfulness. Our relationship will only be defined by my mercy and my forgiveness and the peace that I bring to you, not by you getting it right all the time. For I know that you are lowly and humble of heart and that you are broken, and yet my love has redeemed you. And so you need not be filled with shame. Rather, I want real connection. I want you to know I really love you. And so Thomas, who wasn't there, who comes back later, Jesus offers him real connection. Look, Thomas, the marks of the nails. You can touch me. I am here for you. And for 40 days plus, Jesus will just show up in the resurrection. He'll just show up out of nowhere with the disciples by a lake shore to feed them fish. Many other signs and miracles were written in the book that we don't even know about, we're told, in John's Gospel. I imagine Jesus was just showing up for real connection's sake, just to be with those whom he loves. The Word of God in the midst of our shame is always, I love you. You are not forgotten. You are not beyond my love. And I believe some of us need to hear that. You are not beyond God's love. And the third fruit 
in this story that we see in response to the loss that the disciples had felt? Well, Jesus brings for them a greater purpose, right? As the Father has sent me, so now I send. Your purpose isn't over. The mission isn't complete. It's just now beginning for the disciples. As the Father has sent me, now I send you. You have a greater purpose, right? To go on living and go on loving and go on sharing and go on proclaiming about this life-changing hope, this real connection, and this greater purpose for all of humanity. That is the end of your story and the beginning of your story. You see, it just continues on and on, one generation to the next. You see, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our humanity, when we think all is lost, all is gone, all is forsaken, Jesus shows up again and again and again, offering life-changing hope, real connection, and a greater purpose for all of us, for all of humanity. And that message needs proclaimed now more than ever in the world we live in. Because we are becoming more isolated, more fragmented, more broken, more necrotic, more self-centered and self-focused. The fruit of the resurrection is life, an abundant life for all people. And the really good news is, this isn't just true for you. This is true for your neighbors and your co-workers. This is true for young and old. This is true for young children that are starving today in Haiti. If the good news of the resurrection isn't true for the men, women, and children of Haiti, then it's not good news. It's not the gospel. It's some trumped-up American version of prosperity gospel. This message of life-changing hope, real connection, and greater purpose must be true for all of God's children. And that's why we here at Prince of Peace, this Easter season, in response to what God has done, we are once again supporting the most vulnerable in the Western Hemisphere, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, where a gallon of gasoline is $6 a gallon, and the average Haitian lives on less than $2 a day. Wrap your mind around that. That's why we're supporting Mondesir, a young student who's committing to staying in Haiti, to working for change. That's why we're, 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 we're using our resources as a means to say we really believe in life-changing hope. We really want real connection with you and we know that God has put a greater purpose on your life so that you can live out a Haitian dream. That's why we're sending young adults to Haiti this summer to partner with those children, to live in relationships, and that's why we're committed to doing that sort of thing here, locally as well. Church, God has given us everything we need. We just take one step at a time, clinging to our faith in the crucified and risen Lord. God loves each of you, and I do too. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.